0: So we are continuing a series this summer. We have been, as a church, working through the Gospel of Luke. And so if you have your Bibles today, you can turn to Luke chapter 7. That is where we are going to be looking at today um, as we continue looking at this Gospel. And Jeff has done a great job of giving us a lot of background about Luke. He was a Gentile. He was a doctor. And so that background has helped us kind of look at this portion of Scripture with some really good context. Luke said uh, that he he was not an eyewitness account. He wasn't one of the disciples like Matthew. And so he went out and he said, the beginning of Luke, right in the first chapter, he said, I went out and I investigated to find out if this thing was true. And so Luke went and talked to all the people. He heard the stories. He went and he researched it just like a doctor would. And he researched, he gathered information. And the book of Luke that we have is his account of what he learned about who Jesus was and the work that he did. And so from that perspective, it's just been so great to be looking at this portion of scripture and today we are going to look at a story found in Luke chapter 7 verses 1 through 10 and it is the story of a Roman officer and his interaction with Jesus. So before we start I just want to pray. Lord I thank you for your word I thank you that it is inspired, that it speaks truth to us. And I I believe that today you have something that you want to show us through your word that is going to greatly impact our day-to-day lives and the way that we love you and serve you and serve those around us. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and illuminate your words. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read together Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10, the faith of the Roman officer. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people, he returned to Capernaum. At that time, the highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does, they said, for he loves the Jewish people and he has even built a synagogue for us. So Jesus went with them. But just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some of his friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I am not worthy of such an honor." I am not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following, he said... I tell you I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel. And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. So this is a story about an extraordinary man, this man of extraordinary faith. I love that after this story begins to play out that Jesus heard what this man had to say and he turned around to all the people and he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like all of this in Israel. It says Jesus was amazed, right? What an amazing thing. Wouldn't that be amazing if Jesus was amazed at something you did? Like, that's pretty high praise, right, from Jesus, like, This person amazed me. And he turned to make sure he told all the people, this guy, what he has just said is amazing. I think that would be pretty cool. But this is what we know about this man. We know he was a Roman, which means that he was a Gentile. Now, in in historical context, the Jews hated the Gentiles. And the Gentiles hated the Jews. And Jesus was a Jew. And so we know that this man was a Gentile. And yet he had sent somebody to Jesus. So that says something about him. Not only that... If you look back at the scriptures, who did he send? He sent respected Jewish elders that came and said, Jesus, please help this person. If anyone deserves it, he does. So there was something about him that he had a really good relationship with these Jewish leaders. So here we have a Roman officer in the Roman army who had Jewish leaders coming to Jesus on his behalf. This was an amazing man. He loved the Jewish people and even says that he had helped them build a synagogue in Capernaum, that he had actually helped them in building a place that they could worship. So this was an extraordinary man. We know that he was a Roman. We also know that he was a kind man. He sent Jesus because his servant or his slave was sick. Now, this was incredibly rare because in this day and time, slaves had no value. Slaves were property. Um, In one thing that I was looking at this week, one writing, one Roman writer on estate management recommended that every year farmers should examine your equipment and just throw out the things that were old and broken. And that included your slaves who were old and broken. And yet we see a Roman officer coming to Jesus and saying, could you come because my slave is sick? So he was a kind man. Where everyone else saw property, where everyone else saw no value in someone, this man already was showing value to someone and sought help for him. by coming to Jesus. We also see that he was an important man. He was an officer in the army. He was a centurion, and a centurion was the equivalent of a sergeant major. That means he was one of the backbones of the Roman army. He was a high-ranking officer, so he was an important person. He wasn't just somebody, but he was someone important, and it says that he was a humble man. When Jesus was on his way to his house, he sent word and said, Jesus, I'm not worthy For you to come to my house. I'm not even worthy to come out and meet you. He was humble. Now, according to Jewish law, it was forbidden for a Jew to enter the home of a Gentile. So when Jesus said, all right, I'm coming to your house, already he was turning everything upside down because he was saying, I'm going to go to this man's house, even though I know that I'm not supposed to. It would make him unclean. And Jesus was going to go anywhere. And I love that the centurion heard that and said, no, 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 I I don't want you to come. I don't want you to get into trouble. I don't want you to do something you're not supposed to There was a humility about this man that amazed Jesus. And because of this humility, the centurion sent word to Jesus. And we see it again in verse 7 and 8. It said this, I am not even worthy to come and meet you. You just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go, and they go. Or come and they come, and if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. He was a commander, and he lived in this world of a chain of command. He lived in this world where there was somebody in charge, and he spoke to the people under them, and whatever they say had to be done. He was, when he approached Jesus, he approached it from that that mindset of someone who was a commander of Jesus, you don't have to actually come do it. I know how this works. You have authority, and so if you speak and say this servant needs to be healed, then it will be done. I know how this goes. My servant is sick. You have the authority to heal sickness because you've been doing it all over the place. And so if you just say the word, this sickness will have to do what you say because you have an authority over it. So just say it, and it will be done. He lived in this world of authority. Now, I don't live in that world, so I don't necessarily get it all the time. But last, call, a couple weeks ago, I had an experience with someone. We have lots of military people in our church. There's a number of you here today. Um, but one of our, our members, Jeff Merricks, he is a um, colonel, right? Lieutenant Colonel, is that right? Sounds good. Sure. He is he is important. <laughs> he is in command of people. And a few weeks ago, after we had um, the carnival here at Homestead, we had a whole bunch of stuff that we needed to have returned. And so Brandy Watkinson and I had loaded up one car with a whole bunch of stuff that needed to be returned to Sam's Club, a bunch of pop and water. And we thought, oh, we're going to get there right away and just return this stuff so that we don't have to do it later. And we had enough that Jeff Merricks, who is Lieutenant Colonel Jeff Merricks, he also filled up his car. And so we all drove, and we get to Sam's Club, and we get there, and we park our cars, and Brandy and I get out all these carts, and we're unloading all these 24 packs of water, and we're filling up the cart, and we look over, and Jeff Merricks has found two cart guys, and has had them they are scrambling around, they've gotten carts for him, they have unloaded his cart for him, and now these two young men are carrying in his stuff. And we started laughing, we're like, well there is someone who's used to being bossy. <laughs> there is someone who is used to saying something needs to be done. Hey, you, over here, okay, come on, get over here. And we, we thought that was so funny, because here Brandy and I, it was second nature to him. Even though he wasn't necessarily, he does not have jurisdiction over the Sam's Club employees. Because he is used to operating in this authority. He is used to operating in this way. It just came second nature for him to say, I need help. You two are here. Come on over here. You start doing that. I don't think that way. I just loaded up my cart myself. I would never think, oh, I'm just going to command you, young man. Come and load my cart. But Jeff lives in the world of a chain of command. And so it was just second nature for him to do that. But I don't live in that world. But this Roman centurion did. And it affected the way he viewed Jesus. It affected the way that he was walking out his faith. And I think that there is a spiritual principle here that is worth taking the time to learn about today. And so the rest of the time that we are together today, I want to talk about this idea of authority. I want to talk about this idea of spiritual authority. I want to talk about this idea of what this centurion said. Jesus, I know how this works. There are things that you are in charge of. You are over this thing that is attacking my servant, and all you have to do is say the word, and it will be done. There is something that you and I need to learn from this story. And so the first thing I think we need to learn today is, number one, Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. I'm going to say that again. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. And here are some scriptures that you can write down and go look up this week just to confirm that fact. Matthew 28, 18 says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Ephesians 1, says, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him the head over all things for the benefit of the church. 1 Peter 3.22 says, Now Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God, and all the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. See who, who recognizes his authorities? All angels, all authorities, all powers. And Jude 1.25 says, All glory to him who alone is God, our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. All glory, all majesty, all Power and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time, amen. Oh, isn't that so good? From the beginning of time through this present age, through everything that is gonna come in the future, Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth. What that means, Jesus is the boss of everything, everything. Everything falls under his authority. There is nothing that he doesn't have authority over. And this is what amazed Jesus about this Roman officer. He got it. He just went, you don't have to come to my house. You just have to say it. I know how this works. This Roman officer had the faith that understood that Jesus had authority over everything. Someone who wasn't even a Jew, and he got it. He understood. And that is what amazed Jesus, was he knew that all authority in heaven and earth had been given to Jesus. And I think that you and I need to grow in this area. And let this idea sink down into our hearts that Jesus has authority over everything. Now, why is that so hard to believe? Why does it sometimes feel like, is that, is that true? Does he really have authority over all things? Because when I ask myself that question this week, why, does sometimes, why do I have a hard time believing that sometimes? I think sometimes things really feel out of control, Right? It can feel like my world, the world, everything around can feel like it is completely out of control. Or we look around and we see so many bad things going on that we think, how in the world could Jesus be in charge if this is all such a hot mess? And we're looking around, how in the world could that be? And we have a hard time wondering why God doesn't just stop it all. Why he doesn't just make it all go away. Why we aren't living in this perfect, perfect world. And we might think to ourselves, if he was truly in control, then things should be easier, right? God, if you're really in control, then why does it feel like we're fighting? You know, the Garden of Eden was perfect. It says that there was nothing there. But when sin came into the world, all of a sudden, our lives stopped being a Garden of Eden. And it turned into a battlefield. It turned into a place where we are facing wars and opposition. The truth is God is in control. He does have authority of all things. And that means he also has authority over darkness and evil. And the truth is, if you read the scripture from the very beginning of Genesis to the very end of Revelation, there is a common theme that goes through the whole thing, and that is this. There is an enemy who is fighting against everything that promotes the kingdom of God. There is a devil. And we don't want to sound like crazy people around here today. You know, I mean, there are plenty of churches that all of a sudden you're in there and you're going, and you might be coming today going, oh, Lord, the lady's talking about the devil. Good thing I have my southern fan, right? (laughs) But this is the reality. And you can't read very far in the scriptures until you come across this reality. And we have to talk about it. And we have to look at that. We have an enemy who is opposing God and opposing Us. There is somebody fighting against us. The Bible tells us there is a devil, and his number one job is to oppose the things of God and the people of God. We know this by looking at 1 Peter 5 8, which says, Stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. That means he's just going around looking who he can mess with, what he can make bad he is looking and he is opposing you. Now, maybe you've never really thought about that that in the spiritual realm that there are things that are opposing you, but maybe you have felt it. Maybe you just didn't know what the name was for it or what was happening. Maybe you've have you ever just been going through a week and you just feel like, "My goodness, feels like I'm walking against the wind, like there's just like torrential winds blowing against you, and every step you're taking, it just feels like something's coming against you. Has anybody ever felt that way? Or you feel like, oh my gosh, what is going on? It just feels like everything keeps falling apart. What is that? Or this is happening, or this keeps hitting our home, or my kids are struggling with this. And you just feel like every step you try and take forward, maybe it's even in faith. Every step you t- start to take forward in faith, feels like something is smacking you back. Well, that, there's a reason. Yes, there is a reason because there is an enemy opposing you. And every time you take a step forward, he's trying to push you back. And that is what he does. Maybe you have felt that opposition. Maybe you've felt just evil or darkness. Maybe you've seen a commercial come on and it was something evil and paranormal. And you just felt the hair on your neck stand up and you thought, that seems real. There's something evil about that. Yes, we have an enemy and he is fighting against us. I found a great article this week by John Piper, and he wrote it. It's a blog. I encourage you to find it this week. It's called Satan's Ten Strategies Against You. And John Piper is a a, a scholar. He's a pastor. And he went through the scriptures, and he pulled out every place that the Bible talks about how the enemy opposes you different places where we can see some of his strategies. And, and he talks about the top 10. I don't have time to go into all of them today, but I want to go through a couple of them because we it's important when we have an enemy to know what his tactics are, right? And to be able to go like, huh, well, what? how does he come against us? Is it just random? It is sometimes, but there are things that the scripture tells us that he does in ways that he comes out at us. Number one, he lies. He's a liar. John eight forty four calls him the father of lies. That means that when you feel like, man, I'm just feels like I just am believing lies or I'm, I'm, I feel like just all this stuff is coming in my mind and I'm being lied to or I'm believing lies about myself. I've gone through seasons like that that I just go to Jeff. I just feel like I'm this and I'm this and I'm this. And he'll look at me and go, what in the world? None of those things are true about you at all. And I'm like, it feels so real. That's the enemy. He lies to us. He is the father of lies. And when you find yourself fighting lies all the time, I would say that the enemy is coming against you in lies. It says that he blinds the minds of unbelievers in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. He hides the truth from people. What that means is that he keeps people from seeing the truth of the gospel. That's so why when we sing the song Amazing Grace, I was blind but now I see. That is such an amazing thing. And there are people who are older and come to faith and all of a sudden they think, why did it take me so long? Why did I not ever understand this? Why did I not see this? There is an enemy that tries to keep people from hearing the good news of Jesus. That is why he opposes missionaries. That is why he opposes things. That is why he tries to keep churches from growing. Because he is trying actively to stop people from seeing the light. And it says that he blinds unbelievers so that they don't even realize that they're blind. And then one day the Spirit of God comes. And the light turns on and they think, oh my goodness, now I see. Now I see everything. It's all so clear now. Anybody have that experience? You were blind. and Yes, I know you did. I was blind and now I see. And all of a sudden your eyes are open. But the enemy tries to keep people from hearing that good news. Scripture also tells us he tempts people to sin. He did this to Jesus. He took him in the wilderness and he tried to get people to step up. Have you ever faced a season where like, I am being tempted all the time? Maybe you are a recovering alcoholic and all of a sudden one day you're like, I have never been tempted to drink like I have been this week. It's like that old familiar thing just comes. You have been tempted over and over again. You just feel like, where did that even come from? I haven't thought about it. But the enemy comes and he tries to lure us into doing stupid things that derail our lives all the time. He tempts us. He comes at us and he tries to tempt us. It says in Luke 8 that Satan plucks the word of God out of people's hearts, that he tells the story of the parable that that the word of God comes and people might hear it, and he quickly runs and tries to snatch it out so that it doesn't grow and it doesn't take root. These are just a few of his strategies. John 10.10 tells us that Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And so if there is something stealing from you, trying to kill you or destroy you, that is a plan of the enemy. But John 10.10 also says that Jesus says, I came to give you life, an abundant life. So the enemy is trying to come against you. And I think it's important that we understand his strategies against us so that when we are going through something or we're watching someone we go through, uh, we love go through something, we can stop and go, hold on, hold on, hold on. Why are you believing all these lies? You know what? Let's just pray. Because it seems like the father of lies is messing with you. And you're believing things that aren't true about yourself. Or, oh, hold on, this temptation seems to be really coming at you. Let's pray. Seems like maybe the enemy is coming at you with this. It's important to know what his strategy. I bet if Jeff Merricks was in here today, he would say, oh, we study our enemy. We learn what they do that makes us more effective in how to fight them. And so we have to, can't be unaware of his schemes. 2 Corinthians two ten and 11 says, so that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. So you need to become familiar with the way that he operates so that when you see it, you can stop and go, hold on. I know what this is. This is opposition. This is the enemy coming against us. It's also important to recognize that even though evil seems rampant and it seems to be coming at us from every side, that darkness, evil, and the devil himself, they are under the authority of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that again. Even though it seems like evil is everywhere and you might look around and go, man, it is all over the place. It's important to remember darkness, evil, and the devil himself are under the authority of Jesus. John Piper says this in his article. I thought it was so great. He says, God is sovereign over Satan. The devil does not have a free hand in this world. He is on a leash, so he can do no more than God permits. But God intends that part of our preparation for for heaven will be a life of warfare with hell. He calls it our good warfare in 1 Timothy 1.18 and a good fight in Revelation 2.10 because these firefights refine the gold of our faith in life and death. My friend Susie Larson tells a story about when she was a little girl and and she saw her dad standing by a window and she looked out the window and a neighborhood bully was beating up her brother. And she was, dad, why are you standing here? Why are you standing here and just watching it? And he says, I'm not going to let him lose but I have to let him fight. There was something that was gained in his character in the fight. You're not gonna lose, but God sometimes asks us to fight. And sometimes I just think, "Why, are, Lord, if you have authority, take it all away. And yet I love what Piper says. It's a part of our life here on earth to learn to do battle and to fight. We are in the battle. God has authority over Satan, but he wants us to learn to fight against him. So how do we do that? We can learn by looking at the chain of command that the Roman officer talked about in Luke 7. Because Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. But number two, we have been given authority as children of God. We have authority as children of God. If you are a child of God, if you belong to Christ, you have authority. And Luke 10, 19 through 20 tells us this. But look, I have given who? Who does it say? Look, I have given who? You. You. I have given you authority over all the powers of the enemy. And you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them, and nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Jesus has given you the authority he has. When you are his son or daughter, you suddenly have that same authority. And when it says snakes and scorpions in there, those were symbolic in those day and ages of danger and evil. So if we look at that and says, look, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among danger, and you can walk among evil and crush them. That is talking about walking through this life. You know, we're not going to bring snakes out. There are some churches maybe in the south that might bring out the snakes. We don't really want snakes. We're not really going to try and crush snakes. But as we walk through this life and there are dangers and evil and things coming at us, we can stop and say, hold on, I have authority over this because I am a child of God. Hold on, I have authority over this, over this enemy, over this danger, over this evil because I am a child of God. The word in that scripture in Luke 10, authority, is actually a Greek word that is called exosia. And that word means the power to act. Delegated empowerment. It means authorization. Delegated power refers to the authority that God gives his saints, authorizing them to act to the extent that they are guided by faith. So it says, look, I have authorized you. Over all the power of the enemy. I have authorized you. I have given you delegated authority. A few years ago, Jeff and I were leading worship at a camp up in Alexandria, and um, they gave us these little cards. There's a little, like a coffee shop at the campground called Geneva Java, and they had frappuccinos and candy, and so they gave us this little card, and it just said free free on it. And so they just said, as long as you guys are leading worship all week, if you need anything, just go get some coffee or whatever. But they gave one to my children. All four of them had the free card to the candy shop cappuccino place. And you should have seen their eyes light up once they walked in and realized, anytime I come in, I just throw that card down, and they will make me whatever I want. I mean, by the end of the week, we were like, now we are taking away some of your authority because I think you guys are. But just to watch them to go up and kind of like put it on my tab, right? They just slapped the card down, right? They had authority. Um, My dad is here today. Okay, Dad, do you have a credit card on you? Do you have a? Okay. Can I have it? I can look at it, he said. "When At the end of our wedding, He said, and Jeff, I give you her and all her bills. That was what he said at the end of our wedding. So this is my dad's credit card. So when I was a teenager and I just got my license, it was, you know, nobody had debit cards back then. And so I was driving around. And as a good father of daughters, my dad gave me a credit card. If you're ever in an emergency, anybody have this experience? If you're ever in an emergency, use this card. If you need gas in your car, do give this. Which is great because I usually had a quarter in my wallet and would never look ahead to see, oh, I'm out of gas. Thankfully, my dad had a credit card for me. My name was on it. I never once saw a bill. I never once saw a bill. I never once paid it. I never once went and said, "Hmm, I wonder how much is on there. I wonder how. But my dad authorized me to use it whenever I needed to. Why did he do that? Because I was his daughter. And that is what this scripture is saying. When you are in Christ, I have authorized you with all authority. You now have power over the enemy. You have power to speak to darkness. You have power over the things that keep coming against you. You are now an authorized user. I'm going to put my pocket. Oh, no, I'll give it to you later. My name's not on this one. But we have been authorized, we have authority because we're God's children. Look at this, John one twelve says, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. You know what that word right translates to? Exosia, our word, authority to all who believe in Jesus. When you become a child of God, you now have authorization to be a child of God and all the benefits that come with that. We are his children and we are then put in the chain of command. When we are his sons and daughters, we are put in the chain of command. Jesus has authority over the devil, and when we become his children, we are also given authority over the devil and his schemes against us. Can I tell you how much we need this and how much God has been teaching me about this in the last couple of years? Because if I'm really honest, when I feel that push coming against me, when I feel that attack, when I feel like, man, it just feels like I'm walking against the wind, my first inclination is not to fight back. My first inclination is to curl up on the floor in a little ball and say, please just leave me alone. Please just stop. Go away. Leave me alone. I tend to want to do that. And, you know, for a lot of years, I felt like I have done that. When I feel that opposition, when I feel it coming against me, when it's pushing against me. You know what changed the game for me? When they started coming after my kids. Because I thought, oh, no. I will fight and I will learn to fight, and Jesus has been teaching me how to fight and to take this authority that I have and say, no, 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 hold on. I don't have to lay here and take this. I have authority over you in the name of Jesus. Get away from my family. Get away from my kids. You can't do this in the name of Jesus, and so some of you feel like you are just getting slapped around all the time, you feel like you are just curled up in the corner and you are just saying, please just leave me alone, leave me alone, leave me alone. And fear and depression and anxiety and hopelessness and conflict and discouragement, they are having their way with you. And it is time for you to stand up and say, hold on. Hold on. I have authority over this stuff. Get away from me. Get away from me. You have to do what I say. You have to do what I say because I am an authorized user on my father's account. And I tell you to get away from me. What I love about this story is the Roman soldier, he just got it. And he just said, just say the word and it'll go. Just say the word and this thing has to leave. And you have that same authority. Jesus says, you have the authority to speak to the things coming against you. Use the card I've given you. We're going to Panama tomorrow morning. This will be my sixth trip. And, you know, they deal, in, in foreign countries, you just see a lot more spiritual stuff. It's kind of way out in your face. You just see a lot more way out in the open. I don't know what the reason is for that. We face same opposition here in the United States, but I think the enemy is sneakier with us. But I remember there was a time a few years ago where there was a girl who was very, very much had a lot of dark spiritual things going on with her. And a bunch of our team from the US was praying for her. And we were just like, Jesus, please set her free. Jesus, please help her, help her, help her. And there is a pastor um, in, from Panama named Pastor Lydia. And Pastor Lydia, she, her and her husband pastor a very large church. And she walked over and she looked at all of us, cute Americans, just begging Jesus to just help this poor girl. And she said, No, 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 girls. We don't beg, we command. No, 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 girls, stop begging, we command. And I've never forgotten that because so often we're like, Jesus, oh, I just, I'm curled up on the floor. Please, 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 please. And instead of rising up and going, hold on, I know how authority works. You have to do what I say. Get away. Stop this thing going through my mind. Step away. No, I am under the authority of Jesus and he's given me authority against darkness. We don't beg, we command. Even this week, as we've been getting ready to go on the missions trip, oh, my goodness, I just feel like every little thing is coming against us. My sister broke her foot. Missionaries called last night. All their cars got towed. I mean, it's just like, and after a while, I just kind of go, okay, spiritual authority, stop it. I just kind of start flicking it away like, enough. But this week, I was even, there was just stuff going on in my mind. I was getting frustrated and agitated, and I was driving, and I was feeling all agitated. I don't even know why I keep going on this trip. It's so much work, and I got to get all this. All of a sudden, I just stopped and went, hold on this just feels like just something from the enemy to try and discourage me and i just stopped and said okay and i didn't even get mad about it i was like i know what this is in the name of jesus by the authority of christ just leave me alone lord i pray peace right now in the situation lord i pray peace for that person lord i pray that that car gets out of right now and just began saying that and do you know what i i felt peace all those thoughts that had been chirping in my mind all day it was like they were gone and I am just learning what it means to exercise this and walk in this authority in my life. We have to just stop and say, hold on, I recognize the enemy's schemes. I know what's happening, and I don't have to stay under this. I truly believe that God wants us to use the authority that he has given us. Can you imagine if I had showed up at my dad's house and said, oh, man, dad, the whole day long I was out of gas, I sat on the side of the road just trying to figure out what I was going to do. I sat at the gas station, but I didn't have any money, and I was so discouraged. And then I was hungry, and I didn't have any food. He would have said, what's wrong with you? I gave you my card. You had it right there. Why did you not use it? Right? Why did you not use it? And I truly believe that a lot of us as believers were laying on the floor, curled up, And Jesus is saying, hey, I have given you authority. Why don't you use it? And I want to start to activate this in my life more and more. Because you know what? We have been praying for years over this area because there is anxiety. There is depression. There is suicide. They are rampant all around us. And I keep saying, Jesus, why does this feel like we're just all underneath it? And I believe maybe part of the answer is that none of us are using the authority that has been given us by stopping and saying, wait a minute, you have to do what I say. Go. Go. Step away from this high school. Step away from these girls. Step away from these boys. Step away from these teachers. In the name of Jesus, we need to start using the authority that Jesus has given us. So what would happen if we all started doing that as followers of Christ? What if we all started saying, okay, I know what this is. When I feel that opposition against us, I'm going to step into the authority that Jesus has given me, speaking to those things that are coming against us and using the authority that we have to tell the enemy that he has to go. I think we would be amazed at what are actually attacks of the enemy. There's real life, stuff comes against us. Not everything's a demon in the bushes, for sure. But I wonder how much more there is than you and I ever give acknowledgement to. And what do we have to lose? What do we have to lose to start activating that card and saying, if this is the enemy, if this is an attack against me, I'm going to start speaking to it and say, hold on. Jesus says that when I am his child, I have authority. And so I'm going to speak against these things coming against my home and my family in Jesus' name. I wonder what would happen. I want to close with this last scripture in 2 Corinthians 10. Verses 3 through 8 says this. We are human But we do not wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. And after you've become fully obedient, we will punish everyone who remains disobedient. Look at the obvious facts. Those who say they belong to Christ must recognize that we belong to Christ as much as they do. I, must, I may seem to be boasting too much about the authority given to us by the Lord, but our authority will build you up, and it doesn't tear you down. So I will not be ashamed of using my authority. Let's pray.